growth requires more than capital. Why do we call it the cheat code? Nobody said growth had to be fair. Revenue solves everything. Welcome to the cheat code. What was our fastest path to revenue? We tend to like to do things the hard way. What's the cheat code? It's giving yourself an unfair advantage over the others. What is it that really works and how are we going to grow these organizations? That's our cheat code. Hey guys, thanks again for joining us. We are uh, very much in the early stages of the Cheat Code podcast. And and of course, I had to bring back one of my favorite guests. I think Craig Rosenberg has joined me on every podcast I've I've ever put out there. So why break that that trend at this point? Um, but in thinking about back about how I want to intro Craig, I don't want to do the whole, this man needs no introduction. Uh, but for a lot of you, of course, he, he probably doesn't. Serial entrepreneur, whether you're talking about tip it, Focus.com, Topo, which is probably the the most top of mind for most folks out there, um, and also kind of pivoting into you know equally effective in large enterprises. Gartner, which acquired Topo, uh, and now uh, literally building the playbook for early stage growth over at Scale Ventures. So I wanted to have Craig on because, and it was relevant because I just got off a call this morning. I don't think I've ever had a bad intro from Craig, which is really strange and. Equally as strange, everyone feels like Craig is their best friend when you talk to them. He's got this uh, interesting quality to make people feel important and and also provide relevant connections. So all topics that um, jive well with what we're trying to uncover uh, on the cheat code. So without further ramblings from me, Craig, welcome to the podcast, man. Bro, oh, this is awesome. By the way, could yeah, it those glasses are awesome. Yeah, well, I'm struggling. I don't know where the where we're at. <laughs> Could it also be that you guys are my good friends? <laughs> good job. Is <laughs> that my friends? That could have an influence on it this long. Yeah, I appreciate that. I do, you know, it it is interesting on the connecting people thing that has been uh generally speaking, something I've been uh that I think is really important in finding relevant folks. I uh so I'm glad that Yeah, but you you know how bad most intros are right especially blind introductions and yeah. to the point where you know when so when an email comes across a lot of times your your stomach just sinks in terms of okay, great now i've got to follow up with this person but you know to your credit like every every single person that that, that you ever connected me with there's been either some value i could provide or 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 you know certainly some value that i realized from it so that that in and of itself is a is a good little way to stand out in, in certainly today's environment well, I guess I had to get on a show with you, Justin, to get Craig to be on my show because when I reached out to him to be on Love Selling Hate Sales, I got the stiff arm. So, you know, this is uh what? Uh, now he's gonna blame an assistant. No, it was uh the the line you used was you're a company man at Gartner, they don't let me do stuff like that, you know, type of thing. So either you were just giving me some company line BS or you really just don't like me that much, which either one is just fine, but here we uh, are. Yeah, I'm gonna have to dig through my emails. It's called out. I verification of said email exchange, but uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I, it's probably I'll, a text. I'll, I'll get you know, yeah. It's probably a text that went to the wrong number. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, 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 there's my app. So there it is. Hey, so you know, as we're talking about, um, you know, our fundamental thesis here, certainly as we're we're building in revenue and so on. The word cheat has some negative connotations to it. I personally don't think it's negative whatsoever. But, you know, when you're starting a business, building a business, reacting to market conditions, you know, fill in the blank, like 
it's my firm belief like you have to find a way to do something different than everyone else you've got to find a way to uh to grow that isn't the same playbook everyone else is running so i'm really curious to get your take on specifically the the, kind of the topo story right because if i think back to when did you guys start that business 15 well no earlier than that oh really i think we didn't know until uh like uh 20 call it 2012 it 2012. okay yeah. so you think back there like there is there are plenty of analyst firms in the yeah. space they're all pretty much focused on the same thing they say they've got the best data everyone's kind of kind of trying to differentiate on on breadth of of information and data but you guys kind of enter the market and and grow what you know swiftly became the source for b2b SaaS amongst you know, folks like Forrester and, and, you know, Gartner who eventually acquired you guys and Sirius and, uh, just the, the plethora of options there. So I'm, I'm curious to get that story and, and ultimately how that came about. As you know, I like to spend a lot of time on context so you guys can whack me if I keep start rambling, but the, you know, Scott and I were, uh, Scott Albro, who was the CEO and, uh, uh, also founder of Topo, you know, we had just sold focus or tibet and um we were just trying to figure out what we wanted to do and we were just doing um consulting and what we realized was that there was this like sort of every account we did whether it was demand gen sales development sales go to market overall go to market strategy whatever everyone always wanted to know what the best companies in the world were doing and um so we said okay well maybe there's a business here there's a couple things that I think were really interesting, which was one, uh, if you want to talk about cheating or speed to market, you know, mm -hmm. Scott was like, the way you start this company is you copy, you start by looking at everything that people have already done. Cause he, he just kept reminding me, he's like, look, these analyst firms have been around for a long time. Like, so you can, everyone can say what they want, but they, they figured out something right and so so to to go to market quicker like we looked at public facing financial reports we looked at things you could find on slideshare or you know whatever um to sort of build the you know the operations and like how we would um run our business okay so that was one thing and by the way that was a great call okay um, the other well, Scott has a tendency to speak just like you said there. The way you build this business yeah. seems very definitive around a lot of us. What are you going to do? You know, I'm sitting there with my hat backwards, going, "Why three? You know, it's like no. How many? It made total sense. But then the the second part was like, um, you know, could we tap into what we were seeing, which was there was a set of information that people were getting at this time, which was. You know, B2B go to market had been like in an incredible state of change. And SaaS um, was definitely a new way to sort of build your company and how you went to market there was very unique. And so there was this like um, this need in the market, particularly for, you know, software companies at the time. It eventually grew to everyone uh, to understand like what was happening in the go to market. And so, we felt like we had an, a niche there. And then, you know, Scott just has this thing, like he did this is a saying, which was specificity wins. That was the second thing, which was, can we get tactical? And like, can we provide things that people get? So, you know, those two things together were, were really like important for us to sort of carve 
you know, carve our way in. But there was a, there was a, I think some of the key parts of the brand were, one was we'd always heard the story about Salesforce, how Benioff like hired like his buddy from growing up and said, you're doing Dreamforce, fill the room, I don't care. And it was like that first year or something that Salesforce um, was there. And we were like, we took that motto. We said, we're doing events, we don't care. It's like the first events were those councils, which I think Justin Spoff's hurt. Uh, the first couple. He got me to pay for them. Yeah. What a guy. You said, well, do we, you know, like, or can we do it? Do we know how to do it? I'm like, hell, we're doing it, right? And we're going to put people in the room and we're making it work. And I just remember that first, getting the first 20 in, it was phone calls, emails, like doing everything we could. And we just like, boom, out of the gate, bringing people together. Now everyone brings people, you know, like it's mm -hmm. a very good concept and people were doing, but like, it sounds like everyone's like, yeah, well, I get that. But no, like, we, that was core to our business now. Um, so we did that in like the big event, the Toba Summit, which became like a very good event. That was the same thing. It's like, well, we got to drop, you know, half a million bucks to go lock the space down and do it. Do we go smaller? Do we, no, like Mark Benioff rule here. We go big, we make the mm -hmm. biggest can, we fill the room no matter what. And so, you know, that, that was really key. The other thing was like, well, uh, let me interrupt you there for a second, because I think that's so important. Like events for a lot of people are just kind of this box check, right? Like whether it's a user conference or, you know, even if you're on the, the you know, sponsorship side, like, oh, we got to throw a booth in there. But like you guys were at the, uh, uh, the Rosewood, right? Like yeah. right out. I mean, like there was no like, hey, we're going to do the Marriott, the courtyard Marriott, you know, in Foster City type of deal. Like. It was like, we're going to do this at the highest level possible. We're going to, you know, get a large space and, and then we're going to fill the room rather than kind of this, hey, let's phone it in for a couple of years, figure out if this actually catches on, which that type of thinking prevents things from catching on, right? Like when you throw something crappy out there, like no surprise, it, it doesn't work really well. Well, and I will say too, that those events, like I attended a couple of those council events, right? At the time I was a, a sales rep. And I remember being there it was an ABM event and you had an analyst up there talking about, you know, what other people are doing back to what you're talking about. But those 20 people from that room to this day will still take a call from me. Like that's how intimate it was and trusted it was, which is a differentiator on its own to Justin's point about, yeah, let's do an event. We'll throw a booth somewhere. This was different by design. Yeah, for sure. And, but Justin, I think that's important. I think you're right. I, I, I was, I was going to say. Uh, just I'll make the comment I was going to make, which was Scott was maniacal about the brand. So he would, you know, he would never do like he he was like, no, it's at the Rosewood. Right. Mm -hmm. I remember it was like they didn't know who we were. I mean, literally, I had to call the event guy like 500 times and drive up there, and give him money like to just get <laughs> in there. We were committed to it. It, it. Like, by the way, on this sort of event strategy, if you really are category breaking or creating, then this should this should be natural. Like, look at pulse and gain sight, right? I mean, like that, they, uh, that's a huge, I mean, that brand is almost bigger than the gain sight brand. <laughs> like people kind of know them for that conference. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm running into all these startups here that are doing amazing stuff in terms of disrupt, either disrupting disruptors or creating new categories. It's like, well, that lends, I mean, if you truly understand your buyer and what they want, then you know, you should be able to fill a room at the Rosewood and then you should be fill a room at Pier 29. Is that 
something like that. And then you guys had that other space. What was that? Um, is it the battery? Oh, top floor of the battery. Yeah. That, I mean, that's just a great location. That was a great oh, location. Man. I remember going up there and they're like, yeah, well, here's the hot tub. Here's the deck and all this stuff. <laughs> it was like, okay, we got this, you know? And uh, it was, uh, we put about, our first year we put, I think, 50 C-level execs in the room. The next year was 70. We just had to stop. I mean, like it was kind of hit. But yeah, that was the event. The event strategy was key. And then the other thing was, I, I think it goes hand in hand with some, and I think startups can learn from this, which was, you know, research business is a, it's a hit driven business. And so like we had to explain, find, explain that. So like, if you take, you know, like you have to find, so if you take, um, the waterfall or whatever, those, those are like, sure. Those are big hits and they catch on and they catch fire. I see. Um, and so like our initial hit was one that had been around for a long time, but nobody had created sort of a research sort of formal word around it, which was a sales development, right? Like that was, uh, that was huge. Um, and then account based, mm -hmm. that was great. And towards the end, we started working on rev ops and Gardner actually does great work on, on rev ops stuff, um, as well. And so like, it was, um, we were always trying to find the hit because you, you, you want it like there's, could you create the theme? Yeah. But you want to create the theme around obviously where the market's going. I guess that's. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta use the language that, that other people are using. And I, I do think that, you know, from a, a nimble standpoint, right? Like it's, it's, it, to me, it's almost like the university example. Like why can't universities teach digital marketing? Because it, it, it happens way too quickly, right? Like what is account-based? Suddenly that's a thing. Like you have to be able to teach that in a relevant time frame in a window. And that's just really difficult to do as a, as a large organization. And I think what you guys did is, is capitalize on that proximity from within the clients that you were, you know, getting access to, you know, initially on a consulting basis, right? Like what are they concerned about? What are they seeing? What are these trends? And then to your point earlier, like how, how can we bring the tactical element into that? And, that, and that's, where it gets really difficult to teach from, you know, the 10,000 pound gorilla or the 30,000 foot angle, which is like, what are people actually doing that's working, which to your point, like that's all people care about at the end of the day. Like how, how's this, how is snowflake doing sales development right now? Totally. Um, and then the other thing I think that people can learn from, from us and this broadly applicable was when we started the company, we said, we're not taking a pay cut. We used to say we're not eating top ramen, right? <laughs> and so, and we had monthly numbers and we hit those numbers. And what that did was it put an all hands on deck perspective on closing business. We literally never had to sacrifice once. We get, you know, we only gave ourselves slight raises, of course, but like mm. we were afforded by because we were on a monthly cadence and we said, uh, no, you know, our, our first month number is X and we're going to hit it. To get there, we had this really actionable policy, which was we believed fundamentally that uh, we had to get out there and talk to people. And so we had a mm -hmm. 10 meeting per week quota that literally, I think, ended in 2017. Like we were doing it in, for the longest time and we held ourselves to it. So it's like founders and we would sit there on Monday and go through, who did you meet with? That exercise was huge there's a couple of learnings from it number one is i mean we, look we were veterans it wasn't like we were some you know bright-eyed sure you weren't just cold calling a bunch of people yeah but at the same time we we knew that 
it's rarely the meeting rarely turns to business. It's the meeting to the meeting. So it's like you, you have to meet people and be okay that there's no next step after and not go, well, these meetings aren't working because what we found was always like two months down the line, someone was like, Hey, you know what? You're trying to do this. You should talk to Craig and Scott. The, the benefits were made. And so we, we did alter the, so initially we were like really stringent about the personas, right? Cause we were in the go to market. So we only want to be good. Then we realized, no, man, like if they're the type of company that we care about and they're some level of power, you take the meeting, take the meeting. It was incredible. Like the director of engineering at it's like an open source company made one of our best referral, right? Because a founder had come to him and asked him these questions. We did 10 meetings a week and it was like in, in the ICP, the accounts mattered more necessarily than the people. I mean, we didn't want to meet, you know, too low. So it was like VCs, tech ICP, um, we tested other stuff, but we had to do 10 meetings a week. We held each other accountable to it. And we talked about our learnings. You think about that, like out of the gate, how hard that is to just get for anybody two years into their business. And, but that emphasis on engagement. I think that was part of the win and allowed us to, you know, go drive business out of the gate. I, I, uh, I was just talking to someone, we were going through sort of metrics, like in the early sort of go-to-market fit stage. And we we're talking about, well, do you look at, you know, pipeline coverage? Sure. They may not have it, but like, can they just get meetings? Yep. You know, it's worth looking at it, right? And I, I mean, so anyway, that was a, another sort of big thing that we did, which was, there was no finger pointing, like we were all on deck to get, talk to people every week and to close business and hit the number every month. And, uh, we did. Yeah. I think that's, you know, to your point, like you guys are, are multi-company founders, right? And it's so easy to be like, well, I don't, I'm going to take little or no salary and then, you know, I'm going to kind of take things as they come, but like that proximity to the market is so critical in designing, you know, to your point, like what are the, what, what's the playbook that we're putting together? What's the framework that, that the market needs, but probably the most impactful for me is like saying yes. And I, I'm a firm believer in that. Like a lot of times I'll, I'll get a ping, like maybe Kristen, who's on our PR team, like, why are you doing this podcast in like the travel space? Like, well, because like I, the, 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 the companies that listen to this are the types of companies that I want to be in front of, right? Or or the buyer, right? Like it, it's it really just is about that exposure. And if you're looking for, did it happen as that direct next step? You're probably always going to be disappointed in those results. But if you look back on a 12 month clip and say, oh wow, that that came from that meeting I took with that startup founder that has no product, you know, and suddenly they actually this truly just happened the other day, like very early stage founder has a PowerPoint deck. I took a meeting with him, gave some advice. And then he introed me to someone who is now an LP within the firm. Like <laughs> you, you just can't to connect those dots in a report or something like that is, is impossible, but it, it, it pays off. Yeah. It may, it may sound obvious, but that kind of consistency builds so much momentum. Totally. And people just don't do things consistently. I don't care yeah. who you talk to. It's the easiest thing to do, but it's the hardest thing to do. And nobody does it. I, 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 a million percent agree that you have to, but you do have to choose the disciplines that you want to manage everyone to in the company. But I, I do think it's fair to say we're all going to talk to, even if it's four people a week, just some cadence of that, you, you know, and if people have questioned me on that, like, well, I'm a tech founder. I'm like, okay, first of all, 
I've seen founders go to a conference, not sit in the back and go up and say hi, meet me after I got off the stage and ask me if there's anybody like they are aggressively, they, they go to a conference and they're trying to meet everyone they can. They're walking up and shaking hands and doing those things and like following up after and like, you know, thank you for this. If there's any, like they, they are out there trying to uh, effectuate uh, engagement and um, it's doable in any market, any type, any software type. And I think it's, I think it's a good, I think it's a good policy to follow. You know, by the way, I was thinking about what you're saying. One thing, you know, what we knew about the person to the person thing was years ago at Tippett, we did the appointments, appointment setting exercise. I think, you know, we used uh, my damp house, you know, at Greenleaf. Mm -hmm. It was like, those things were not converting at all. Okay. But we kept going because what we found was 10 months later, those turned into opportunities. It was crazy. And so like, we're like, okay, like we just learned this patience. It was because we're sitting there knocking on someone's door, you know, telling them about something that takes time. You know, you guys are the experts at nurture, right? This was essentially the use case for that. Right. In that it was going to turn into business right away. And, and that we sort of took that experience uh, to us as we sort of thought about how there's a long tail to these conversations. It, that, in that mix, do you, how, how do you think about referrals and i'm not talking about referrals to you i'm thinking like is it is an intentional effort for you to provide referrals to you know folks within kind of your ecosystem your network because i i see you do it a lot right like and there's i don't think a you know a direct incentive to provide those right like when i was at lead md i just get a call hey these guys are struggling with xyz of course they're a client of yours you're seeing that there right but i immediately always took that as I've got a, I want to provide something in return for that, right? Like it's not something that was being held over my head, but you just naturally want to repay good things with good things, right? Like, did you find, was that an intentional motion or is that just a byproduct of, you know, working with great companies that, that need solutions that you can provide? I think it's intentional by me. Right. You know I mean, yeah, for That's sure. That's what I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, well, first of all, I'm like, uh, I'm sort of at that stage in my life where there's parts of business that make me really happy and parts that make me uncomfortable. Sure. Um, where things that make me happy is to connect to people that can go do business together and, um, or, you know, anything, frankly, I had to reach a point where I could do that. I had to reach a point where I was valuable enough to people in my network that they would want to ask me, but <laughs> what I do, I do feel like it's really important to try to make that happen. And, um, I forget, I think I'm someone I was talking to was talking about taking these meetings with these wall street Titans. And it's like, you get 10 minutes or something in the room with them. Okay. And they're like, how can I help you now? What are you going to ask them? Oh, well, you know, could you give loan me a hundred million dollars? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to ask Jamie diamond that, but you are going to say things like, well, if, if you were me, who's the most person that I should absolutely talk to. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and Jamie Dimon will make that meeting happen. Right. The person was telling me, it's like, that's the, literally he sits there all day, figuring out what people need and making connections. Um, mm -hmm. it's a very value, valuable thing that you can provide, but frankly, for me, it just makes me feel good. Like I was excited that you told me you had a good meeting for me today. Cause both people that I referred you and the, and the other guy that, that, that means a lot to me, you know? So like, it's awesome. Yeah. So I did have some validation on the business side, but really it's, 
um, it's been it's something that um, I think is is really great. And I, I yeah, you know, I do have this way of picking up people along the way and then becoming getting invited to their weddings and stuff like that. Right. It, one of those things is just like a lot of the stuff that's really good business for me. It's just like personally very rewarding. Mm -hmm. um, now, so where you were going on the question though is would I tell people to do that? A million percent. Yep. That is like been like key to a lot of stuff personally on my side, but it's what I see the best people doing. That's why I brought up that Wall Street page. Like, you know, you're you're in, you know, you want to make those connections, right? I watch the VCs now. I'm in the firm. These guys, they're looking to make connections, right? Mm -hmm. And to and to do this, it's the it's the right thing to do from a business perspective. The uncomfortable ones you brought out are the really annoying ones. Remember when LinkedIn was first sort of <laughs> trying to help people use LinkedIn message, it was like ask or you had this thing where it's like you could ask for a referral to someone. Yeah. That led to transactional referral. Yeah. That was bad. Um it put the referral business in in bad shape. Like there's all these little nuanced things like as you know, I I mean I've given up sort of I warn you sometimes now, Justin, but like I you know, I used to call you and say, do you want this meeting? Yeah. yeah. You know, th those things are part of like um, helping people connect. So there are really bad connects, you know what I mean? But um, totally. I uh, I think it's, I, I, I do think it's important, especially for um, as you go later in your career and you start to build your network. Um, that's the kind of thing that, as you said, I think you said when you first kicked this off, which was like, it comes back around in a good way. Yep. Sir does, but also it feels good to know that you connected to people that could go do business with each other. Totally. Totally. It it is uncomfortable though. Like you brought up a point like earlier in your career having that like hesitation. Mm -hmm. And I can remember early on in our days at Lead MD, Justin would say, Hey, refer this over to so and so at so at such and such company. And I'd be like, Why? What are you talking about? Right. And and it took time. I'm like, why would they want a referral from me about this? Like it just I wasn't connecting the dots, right? But if you start doing it, again, it's a momentum thing and you just come from a good place, no matter who you're sending it to, it does build up that groundswell of momentum and it becomes that connective tissue and you can see trajectory that you wouldn't otherwise have. It, it's crazy, but it is a hard thing to wrap your head around as easy as it seems early. Uh, it totally is. And by the way, maybe we should talk to Justin about making you do that in the early days of Lead MD. That might be a do we take that route? Actually, did you, <laughs> you can take whatever route you want. Uh, Making so fun of Justin's always a good one. There's this great sales consultant. His name's Dave Brock, and um, he's been the mentor to me. And like I, you know, and I remember talking to him about you know the network and the customer referrals, and he was like, "Tell me, you know, he's been around for a while. He's like, you know, sometimes I'll just have the uh, the person I know is hugely valuable. We'll just go get on the call together with the prospect <laughs> or." customer he's like because i know that it's going to add value to them if the i'm just making this up the vp of supply chain at danaher and some other you know manufacturer third party um supplier it's like if i'm a, you know bringing together those like people is a hugely valuable thing and you know in the case that dave gave me it's like sitting there listening to these guys talk he's like i'm learning everything i need to know um and i added value to both sides but but it is hard i agree i i have I'm trying to think of where you meet in your life where you, you know, you, you'll probably do a little bit until you sort of gain the, 
the business world's trust or your network's trust and you figure out what's right. Because Justin did say earlier, you know, that there was bad referral one was like the LinkedIn one, but also, man, it is an art to figure out if you're about to connect two of the right people because that can backfire in the most in the most horrible of ways, right? If you waste 30 minutes of someone important to use time with you know something like that, like it's it's uh that that's so I can see the uh, you know there you have to sort of reach this level of enlightenment, I guess. Well, you, you have to understand both sides and not just at a superficial level, right? Like because sometimes even you know when I provided referrals, maybe one person doesn't quite see it, right? Like, but you know I. I think of one instance specifically, but like I knew their business, I knew exactly what they needed. And so I actually had to explain it and they're like, oh yeah, shit, that, that makes total sense. But like it, you really do have to understand both sides. And and I think the point here is like you, you, you give value to get value. It makes total sense. So I'm curious, I know we're, we're getting tight on time here, but we, we talked a lot about a lot of different tactics that, that obviously translated very well at Topo. What what do you think built the most enterprise value come acquisition time, and and was that something that Gartner understood? Well, I'm not sure I'd answer the second part of that. I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I would they well. well I guess a different way to ask it is: did did that influence? Like, so maybe it's events, right? Like, did they were they like, wow, that events business that you built is one of the primary reasons why we want this org. Yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, uh, I know people, the, their sort of their brain impressions of Gartner around magic quadrants and these things, but like, it is a, uh, one of the most well-run organizations I've ever run into. Uh, oh, it was amazing. I learned so much, honestly, I, 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 like I learned so much about scaled decision-making. It was amazing. Um, and, uh, but in terms of. Yeah, I don't know. You know that? I, I, I don't know. I think there was um, a couple things. One is we did crack sales, which a lot of analyst firms have struggled with. And, uh, you know, we, by the way, we did that by going not top down, by, but going bottom up, which worked. And I tell people that all the time. Oh, I got to reach the CRO. I'm like, oh my God, these are the hardest people to sell to in the world. You have to triangulate around the CRO. So that at some point they're like, oh, hey, yeah, no, I know about you. Yeah, sure. Let's hang out. You can. Mm -hmm. So I think there was a lot of, I think there was just a lot of, there was that, that was a key thing. I think, I think just what you brought up, like the, the way that the market responded to us in events and mm -hmm. our customers and those things. Yeah. So I, I actually, I don't know how I'd answer that. Cause I'm not sure there's. Well, everything that you mentioned was a core pillar of Topo, right? Like if you want to bring the sales thing back to. 10 meetings a week, you know, if you want to bring, you know, the event side back to obviously like going big on those and, and making them something worth prestige, like those, I'm a firm believer that those like cheats or those differentiators truly become the enterprise value within a business. And, and, uh, I mean, there, there's no rocket science there, quite frankly, it's just doing the thing that other people aren't doing. And a lot of time the hard thing. Yeah. Well, that, that's the, I, I think like if, if I learned anything in the topo exercise, because we did we did both ways, right? One was we found the fastest path in the beginning. We often took the hardest path while we were topo, which I regret. I've tried to take into my next 
recommendations in my life, right? Which is, you know, let me give you an example that I like was so eye-opening. We had our go-to-market network together and one of the sales ops people in the meeting were like, well, how are you handling the current business environment? And the guy just said, uh, no new money into net new and everything we're doing from a product all the way through is against the customer. And we're going to hit our number by selling to our customers. That mm-hmm. everyone's saying that, you know that, right? Oh, well, it's all about, and then it's like, well, what do you mean? Right? Whereas this guy said, well, we got these customers and I look at the revenue plan. If I just lift them 20%, we get the 20% growth we're looking for in the near term. That's the right thing. And so like they said, well, what can we sell? Right. What product? How do we talk to them? Uh, all the things you do when you start a business, they did in against, you know, expand people that they had already sold to. Yeah. And I'm just going, they took the right path. That is a cheat in many ways. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, I've had so many conversations with, with CS leaders and, 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 um, you know, services leaders, even that, that are over success of the customer. And they all say that same thing. And to the point they don't fulfill on it, right? Like, Hey, if I just stopped, if I lessened attrition by 10%, if I sold 20% more into that base, like we could hit our number forever. And it's crazy that no one operationalizes that because the entire org is so acquisition focused totally totally i mean like uh but that's you know as you i liked what i saw the title of your thing it's like i know there might be a negative connotation to cheat but what you're really saying is like can we just make decisions that like it feels like in b2b and in tech we always try to make the hardest route Mm -hmm. it's like abm you know when abm came out the sales leaders assumed that meant oh great we can finally get into the hardest accounts Right. And the idea was, no, all right, can we use data to find the easiest? The easy ones. Yeah. Yep. Oh, and it's like, you know, it's like this, this, well, we got to do It's like, uh, well, the SDRs need to call more. Why? The data says, no, well, they're not working hard enough. It's like, once again, okay, so let's make it harder. That's what yep. we want. If they're getting leads, and now this is changing. Don't get me wrong. People are going to think I'm not advocating to the phone, but like I had this conversation where the email and LinkedIn and just leaving a voicemail was performing extremely well. Oh no, don't get Josh started on LinkedIn uh, voicemail. <laughs> they don't, they don't not making enough calls. It's like, why? What do you like? And it, yeah, what's driving that decision? It had to be the hardest thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, so yeah. So when I think about cheats and what you guys are, tr- how you guys are trying to direct the conversation, I think it's important. It's like, it's almost like a therapy chair. It's like, Okay, let loose. Like, what's the fastest thing we yes. can do? And what's the thing that we can do over and over? And that we can hire someone with relatively less experience to be able to go do this. Or we can hire someone and it's not trying to solve some complex algorithm to figure out how to be successful in their job. That that's that that's really I think it's really important. I think it's definitely something I learned. I have scars on my um back from just trying to build topo and sometimes choosing to do the hard thing instead of the easy thing. But, but, you know, I, I've now seen really great examples of people making really good decisions based on the cheat instead of the, like their memories of having to make 600 phone calls in a day or, you know, having, you know, having to hit the net new as like a moral imperative instead of right. like, this is the most sense. Yeah. So 
Great, great way to take us home. Well, Mr. Rosenberg, as always, appreciate you joining us. I'm Justin Gray and Mr. Josh Wagner. Couldn't, yeah. couldn't, couldn't have said it better myself. Do, do the thing that makes sense. Do the thing that's easy. Stop doing the hard stuff. Thanks for joining us on The Cheat Code. Thanks, guys.